0: This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast, and now, Rebecca Larson. A Brief History is a supplemental episode of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. On this episode, we cover Catherine Carey, and our host for today to tell us all about Catherine Carey is author Adrian Dillard. I know normally I do all the talking, or we do questions and answers, but today... I'm going to let Adrian do all the talking and tell you about a character that she knows a whole lot more about than I do. And with that, here's Adrian and a brief history of Catherine Carey.
1: Though it is fairly easy to pinpoint the moment Catherine Carey departed this fair world, it's much more difficult to determine just when and how she came into it. As with most Tudor births, at least until the reign of the first Elizabeth, Catherine's was never officially recorded. Based upon her entrance to the English court in 1539, we can say with confidence that she was at least born before 1524, as the minimum age for service in the royal household was 16. There are some exceptions, of course, but these were very rare. Another indication comes from Catherine's husband, Francis Knowles. Thanks to his dutiful annotations in a Latin dictionary now housed at the Bodleian Library, we know not only the dates of their children's births, but the date that the two were married, April 26th, 1540. This was a marriage in the fullest sense, with their first child coming the very next Easter. Because we don't know Catherine's exact date of birth, debate continues to rage over her paternity. While both Catherine and her brother were given the surname of their mother's legal husband, William Carey, there is a possibility that one or both of them could have been conceived during Mary Boleyn's affair with King Henry VIII. There is only one official reference to the stallions in the form of a dispensation from the Pope allowing the king to marry a woman with whom he shared a first degree of affinity, Anne Boleyn. But most historians pinpoint it to the spring of 1522 when the king rode into the joust wearing the motto, a anavera she has wounded my heart. While this makes sense in the context of Henry's character, for he loved grand gestures such as this, there is nothing to say for sure that the L referenced was Mary. For that reason, there are others who argue that the affair took place before Mary's marriage to William in February of 1520. If it did take place after the nuptials, it is the only one of Henry's affairs to be conducted with a married woman. There are many pieces of circumstantial evidence that point to royal blood flowing through the Carey children's veins, but equally enough evidence to point in the opposing direction. Though Henry Carey's paternity has been brooded, we can safely assume that the affair was over by the time of his conception in 1525, when the king's eye turned towards Mary's sister, Anne. Whatever the truth, Catherine and her brother were legally the children of Mary's husband, based upon the laws of the time. However, the Portrait of Catherine, in which she exudes an uncanny resemblance to the king and his daughter Elizabeth, painted in 1562 by Stephen van der Meulen, continues to fuel the debate. In 1528, the unthinkable happened. William Carey was lost to the dreaded sweating sickness. Widowed at such a young age, Mary was a burden on the Boleyn family. Though her sister and the king intervened to help her finances, Mary appears to have become a person of little account. She made a few appearances at court, but she seems to have vanished long enough to reappear in 1534, happily married to another William, William Stafford, and full of a child. As a result, Mary was banned from court, but where she went and whether her daughter accompanied her, no one knows. Most likely, Catherine went to one of two places, the Boleyn family home at Hever, or the English stronghold at Calais, where her stepfather was in the service of Arthur, Viscount Lyle. Catherine's first appearance in the historical record comes in 1539, when she was chosen for one of the coveted maid-of-honor positions in the household of Henry VIII's fourth wife, Anna of Cleves. Between that first appointment and the successive births of 14 children, Catherine went on to serve in the households of both Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr. Though her Protestant leanings and Boleyn connections made her unwelcome at the court, During Mary I's reign, she returned in the winter of 1558 when her cousin, or perhaps sister, Elizabeth, ascended. In Elizabeth's court, she was a beloved servant, confidant, kin, and friend. Both Catherine and her husband Francis were appointed to lucrative positions, chief lady of the privy chamber and vice chamberlain, respectively. Additionally, Catherine was keeper of the Queen's jewels, and responsible for the custody of the many gifts Elizabeth received during her reign. In the summer of 1565, Catherine was promoted to Chief Lady of the Bedchamber after the death of Elizabeth's childhood governess, Cat Ashley. Though there was much rejoicing in the Knolls' household at Elizabeth's ascension, it was in no wise a guaranteed result in the fraught years after Henry VIII's death. As master of the horse to Henry's son, Edward, Francis was well placed to resume his service in the young boy's household, and it was his accomplishments during the Battle of Pinky Clue that led to his knighthood by Edward Seymour, the Duke of Somerset. When Edward succumbed to an enduring illness in 1553, Francis left court on a mission for William Cecil, the future Lord Burleigh, an eminent Elizabethan advisor. He was to scout possible locations for Protestant settlements and act as an envoy with the intent of creating a new commonwealth to ensure the survival of Protestantism under the reign of the zealously Catholic Mary Tudor. The first journey to the Low Countries was undertaken in September 1553 by Francis and his elder son Henry. But a letter in the British Museum points to the possibility that Catherine went along. It is called the Corrado Letter, and it is the first piece of evidence we have to show just how highly regarded Catherine was to her cousin Elizabeth. Filled with promises of love and support, Elizabeth encouraged Catherine to remain hopeful despite the arduous journey and sorrow of leaving her family behind. Though the letter is dated 1553, it is more likely to have been composed in 1557 in anticipation of a separate journey to the continent. In September 1553, Catherine had just given birth to their tenth child and was in no fit condition to make such a long and dangerous trip. She and Francis are recorded with much more certainty in June 1557, living with five children and a maid in Frankfurt, Germany, in the home of London merchant John Weller. Francis had come over earlier in 1556 to enroll at the University of Basel in Switzerland. Which five children accompanied them and where her other children were during this time are unknown, but based upon the records in the before-mentioned Latin dictionary, we can assume that their son Thomas was conceived, and very likely born during this time abroad. It must have been fearful to hear news of the persecution of their friends, the burnings that took place in an effort to rid the kingdom of heresy. So when Mary died in the autumn of 1558, there was much rejoicing in the English settlements. Those who had fled returned hopeful for the future and grateful to be reunited with their families. Upon their re-entry, both Catherine and Francis were welcomed with open arms by the new monarch. Though Elizabeth clearly held her Knowles relatives in high esteem, their personal relationship was often fraught with difficulty. Elizabeth was not an easy master to serve. She was notoriously possessive, and as such demanded Catherine's constant presence. Additionally, she was known to subject her ladies to emotional outbursts, even slapping them for minor offenses. A letter from Francis mentions Elizabeth berating Catherine to tears. Near the end of Catherine's life, these letters were the only contact she had with her husband, due to Elizabeth's utter refusal to let her travel to Kimbolton, where Frances was kept with the Queen of Scots during her imprisonment. There was no question Francis could return to court, though he begged and pleaded during Catherine's illness, and the two were apart on the day that Catherine died. The pressures of serving a demanding queen and the depression Catherine suffered due to the absence of her beloved spouse took their toll, and in July of 1568 she was taken ill with a fever that plagued her intermittently over the next seven months. Francis chastised his wife for not taking proper care of herself, putting the well-being of others first and foremost but it was to no avail and the fever returned with a vengeance. In August, Francis asked William Cecil to comfort his wife's disease of the mind. His letters taking on a more desperate tone as her health declined further in the autumn months. By December 30th, the situation had become dire and Francis railed against the Queen's mistreatment of his wife. Two weeks later, Catherine succumbed to her illness, dying at Hampton Court Palace on January 15th, 1569. Catherine's death was deeply grieved by both her family and the woman she served dutifully for over a decade. Elizabeth was said to be distraught by her cousin's sudden passing, her doleful state remarked upon by many visitors. She paid for an elaborate, almost royal funeral for her Boleyn cousin, a woman deemed in especial favor with our noble queen above the common sort, at Westminster Abbey where she remains buried to this day. Catherine's legacy lives on through the current royal family of England who claim their descent through her daughter, Lettice.
0: And that concludes this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find my show notes from this episode and how to become a patron at Podcast.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Patreon, or Podbean. Intro and outro music called Folk Round by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Creative Commons license via filmmusic.io. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at tutorsdynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.